So we are massively, massively grateful to you, Terry, for giving up, up your time. So if you don't know, um, Terry is like, we're going to be the kids today because he's a proper father. So he has fathered New Frontiers from starting in your living room, I believe. From starting New Frontiers in his living room. So we we can be the kids today and what like Terry can come and father us really well. So um, I'm just going to pray for you if that's all right, Terry, and pray for our hearts as well that God would speak to us. Yeah, Jesus, we are so grateful for Terry and for all that you've put in him and all that you've done through him. And we just want to pray for him this morning that his, his words would um, just meet with hearts that are open to hear from you, Jesus. And we just want to pray for encounters with you, God, this morning through as Terry speaks, with, for encounters with you that change the shape of youth culture, that change the shape of our youth works, God. Because we, we love being together and we love being at New Day, but we're interested in taking this back to our town in our cities and transforming young people's lives from there. So God, speak to us, we pray. We're so expectant. We're so excited. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you are going to do this morning. Amen. Terry Virgo, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. It's a great joy to be with you. Uh, I always know that uh, my wife and I are very indebted to youth workers yeah, we had five kids who happily are going on with God uh, excitedly. And uh, uh, we know that we were very indebted to the youth workers in our church. As parents, we tried to give them what we could, but we knew that they were also hugely affected uh, by the youth workers. The guys that were somewhat closer to their age group than we were uh, came to them from a different angle, uh, but demonstrated tremendous zeal for God and uh, accessibility, and uh, I know that they played a huge part uh, in our kids coming through for God. So thanks for all that you do. Uh, thanks for spending hours with people. I know they don't always encourage. I know there are times when you can be uh, disappointed with what happens to them, uh, but I just want to commend you, and uh, thanks for coming along this morning. Uh, when you say thank you for giving us your time, I, I came to New Day yesterday and was delighted to find, to my surprise, that I'm actually speaking. Uh, so that I may not quite match the title uh, of the uh, seminar because Joel said, please, whatever, will you fit in? And uh, Owen, I think, uh, did a change with me yesterday and I'm fitting in for Owen today. So if you came expecting to hear Owen this morning, sorry, uh, you got me. And so I want to speak to you um, on one Bible verse, which I think will take us along the line that we want to go to, there's no point in turning it up particularly, it says this in Isaiah 49, He made me a polished arrow. He has hidden me in his quiver. Okay, he made me a polished arrow. He has hidden me in his quiver. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you right now. We invite you to take the things that I have to say. Please make them relevant. Let them, as it were, bite into our hearts. Do us good. Enrich us. Make us better fitted to serve you. So we welcome you, Holy Spirit. Come and bless everyone here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Some years ago, when New Frontiers was beginning to grow... And we'd started a number of what initially were house churches, as was said. Some started in homes with just a handful of people. 
and uh, have grown, praise God, to uh, warehouse churches now. Uh, but when they started, were very, very tiny, and then gradually growing, gradually growing. We're planting more and more churches, and we started on the south coast um, in Brighton, that area. And uh, gradually, more and more churches up into London. And we knew uh, gradually of other people doing similar things uh, in different parts of the country, some up in the north, some in the northwest, and the northeast, some uh, down in the west. And we felt, well, this is our turf just here in the southeast. Uh, and maybe we should start looking into continental Europe. Uh, we had some contacts already into the Netherlands, and uh, all our young people were learning French at school. Hey, what about France? So if other people are doing different parts of the UK, maybe we should be involved in church planting in Europe. And I was praying with some guys one day, and as we were praying together, I saw a vision of a map of the southeast corner of England. Well, at least of the whole of England, actually. But over the southeast, over that sort of uh, East Anglia, Kent, Sussex border, there was a bow superimposed with an arrow pointing out towards the continent and beyond. And it was being pulled back on the map just as far as London. In other words, it wasn't being very uh, kind of stretched. And I felt God said to me, if you try and go, if you try and send arrows, only pulling back as far as London on this map is not going to go very far. So uh, you need to pull it right back across the country. Then you can send arrows on and on and on. Many, many arrows can go. And uh, that really captured our imagination. We talked about it, uh, and we thought, hey, nay, we need to change our, our minds. We were uh, just working in the southeast of England. And we thought, well, let's begin to move and plant churches across the UK. And at that time, there was a bit of a, uh, an economic crisis in the southeast, and people were moving away from London and moving into the nation more. And I asked one of the elders, would you just find out from the various churches if people are leaving them and moving, where are they going? And he came back to me after a few days and he said, uh, well, it seems that most of them are going to Manchester. That's the, that's the predominant city they're moving to. And, um, and then he said this, he said, while I've been praying about this, I guess it lasted a few weeks actually, he said, God's been speaking to me. I think I should move and I should plant a church in Manchester. And then an evangelist guy we knew said, I'd like to go with him. And then David Devonish, who was working in Bedford, said, I want to move into the Midlands more. And we closed our Bible week, which was called the Downs Bible Week in Sussex, and opened up what became Stonely Bible Week. And we began to move into the nation. We planted churches in Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland. We just started moving into the nation. And that was with a view to not just church planting in England, but to get resource for people to go and plant, and go, and go, and go. And uh, to be honest, in more recent years, we've, we've never planted so many churches. I mean, there are churches in Paris, Berlin, Porto, Madrid. Uh, they're on and on. Guys are going, they're going, they're going. They're planting churches. Istanbul, Stockholm, on and on. They just keep going. And God's doing that into Europe and beyond. People are going. And really what we're doing here, we're not just running youth groups in churches we're raising up guys and girls for ministry that lies before us. I sat in the meeting last night. I sat just outside the meeting, actually, uh, looking in. And just in, the head, in front of me were small children. Uh, 
another generation, hands raised in worship. And I thought, boy, look what God is doing. Uh, some of them, very little children. But I, I thought, wow, they really, they're really worshiping God and singing great new song that uh, the Bradings had written. You know, my life's yours. I thought, Lord, another, another arrow, hundreds of them, hundreds of them. Because what you're doing is preparing a generation. You're preparing a people. And to be honest, the best way you can prepare is to be a mentor, to be a model. And I think this theme really of an arrow really resonates with me, that God wants many arrows. He wants you and I to model something associated with being an arrow, and he wants us to reproduce. Because to be honest, you can teach lessons, but the reality is you reproduce who you are. You reproduce who you are. That's the quality stuff that happens. And what's true to you becomes true for them. So let's just ponder this theme for a moment. An arrow, all right, arrows don't fall out of the sky. Uh, they don't come ready-made. They're not like snowflakes. They used to be something else. Uh, they used to be a branch in a tree. And uh, they become something else. And here it says, you've made me a polished arrow. In order to be made into an arrow, a branch has to be cut out from a tree, has to be cut out from its previous identity, has to leave behind where it used to be, what Peter calls that futile way of life we inherited from our forefathers. When someone becomes a Christian, they don't just add Jesus. I know for myself, I got saved when I was 16 from a completely non-Christian background. My parents were not believers. My sister led me to Christ. She said, ask Jesus into your heart and you'll go to heaven one day. I mean, that's abbreviating it. And that sounded like good news. Why didn't someone tell me before? I'd like to go to heaven one day. And uh, I asked Jesus into my heart, and I, and I felt something happen. I was born of God. I was born again. And I felt it happen. I was surprised. I thought, whoa, this is real. Uh, and it's like I, I just said, Jesus, will you come into my life? A bit like a, a branch, if you like, staying in the tree asking God to come in. I didn't change my address. I didn't change my identity. I just asked Jesus into my now confused life, which now had two value systems going on. One, the value system that I'd inherited, the culture I was growing up with, the friends I'd already made, the values I was already following, the ambitions I already had, and now I've got Jesus as well. It's great. I'm going to heaven one day. And and so really, not exactly what the Bible's talking about. In the Bible, right from the beginning, God calls Abraham, that's the very first guy who gets called like, Abraham, go, I'll take you to a place. And Abraham forsook the Ur of the Cald. He's a big, prosperous city. And he went. And he said, God, I'll show you a place. And he, he uprooted, he came out from and with an arrow, if you're going to make a branch into arrows, it's no good asking God to come into your tree. You've got to come out of your tree. And that represents a radical change. It represents being cut out. And actually, as we'll move on to in a moment, taking on a completely new identity, though it's the same piece of wood. It's the same person. It's the same piece of wood. But actually, it takes on a completely new identity. 
It's cut free. It's not asking Jesus into who you are. It's not, it's not muddling your values now, mixing some of the things you already thought about, some of the values you really prized, some of the ambitions. You know, this is who I am. Now, Jesus, come and join me in it. Can you enrich this to me? Can you make me feel good here? I know you love me. I know you're for me. We sing the songs. You love me so much, Lord. Bless the tree I'm already in. That's not it. Peter, it says, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. He left his nets and followed him. He said to them, Levi, the tax collector, follow me. He left his tax collecting and followed him. Now, for some, that was as radical as leaving your actual employment, which isn't what everybody's called to, but that realization that I am being cut out from where I was. This is in Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. He died us to rescue us out from this passing age, this current culture. I've been unwell for a few weeks and spent some weeks reading, sitting, waiting to get better. And uh, my son Joel gave me a huge fat book on the history of England. And it's really so enjoyable. I've so, it's written so very well. And uh, it's like a novel. It's not a novel. It's absolutely full of detail. But it's written so lively. And you just read and generation comes and generation goes and you read about England when it used to have tribal areas and battling tribes until the Wars of the Roses, and then a monarch, and then gradually Parliament. It's just totally fascinating. The Napoleonic Wars, Nelson, on and on and on. And you see the culture keeps changing. If you've ever seen uh, Chariots of Fire, that great uh, movie about the uh, Olympics, and look at what English culture was like then you know, run for your nation and all the rest of it. Uh, and you look at the, the cultures like, it's changed, completely different. If other people from other nations re- see chariots of fire, say, oh, that's England. You say, no, that's what England used to be. This is what England's like now. In fact, we hardly know what our culture is. Things are moving so rapidly. But we're kind of in it together. And people are in it together. And the kids you serve, they're in it together in their classroom, in their school. There's a culture that captivates, that makes the choices for them, that makes kids turn around to their mothers and say, I'm not wearing those trainers. Why aren't you wearing those trainers? They're, they're cheaper. Oh, no, the kids would laugh at me. I want these kind of trainers. This kind of culture tells you what's acceptable, what you're supposed to wear, how you kind of look, how do you do your hair, what music you like. And Jesus came to cut us out from, which is very radical especially for young kids. So, dear friends, if it's not true of you and me, we're never going to communicate that. If we, don't, if we haven't had that call, I know for myself, it was like four years later when I was about 20, just one Sunday morning in church. It's like God called me. I'm just in a meeting. I'm 20. I've been a Christian four years, making a real mess of it. My, my constant prayer was, sorry about Lord, forgive me for that. Just a mess, really. I knew I was going to heaven one day. Hallelujah. But this is a mess. And that one Sunday morning always encourages me as a preacher. One Sunday morning, God nailed me. And I, I, I just changed my life. I felt God said to me, I want your life. I want it now. And I won't speak to you about this again. Because I'd had many kind of efforts to yield again. I'm sorry, Lord, I give you my... Came to nothing. And it was like, 
I won't speak to you about that. That frightened the life out of me. I won't speak to you about it again. It's like, this is it. I went home, everything changed. Actually, I lost all my friends. I got all my friends to church once, and that was it. They didn't want to know. So it's almost like Terry Virgo died. I lost my friends. My parents were not Christians. Um, So, you know, I kind of, I remember my first Saturday night at home. I used to live for Saturday nights in Brighton. And now I sit at home on a Saturday night because all my friends are doing sinning like I did. We used to get drunk at the weekends, party, all kinds of stuff. I'm a Christian, just in the mix. And I remember that Saturday night. I got on my scooter. I used to drive a a Lambretta scooter. This tells you how old I am. And uh, I went down on a Saturday night on my own and the pool of Brighton nightlife with all these young people. And I thought, oh, God. And I drove home again. And I sat in my lounge, my mum and dad's lounge. I said, all right, Lord, you've got my life. And, I, and the phrase in the church in those days was, Christianity is life with a capital L. And it felt like hell with a capital H. <laughs> I'm sitting at home on a Saturday night, and this is supposed to be life. I and mean, I didn't know anything. And I just sat and I started reading the book of Acts. And as I read it, I, I just thought, boy, early church was pretty exciting. I'd never done that before. I'd never sat and read through a Bible book. I sat and I thought, wow, this, this is pretty good. This is pretty good. And a new life started. I got cut out. I got cut out from where I was. You see, the Bible says we are created and we're his workmanship, created in Christ for works he's prepared beforehand. There's a new, a new creation. You come out from being a, a branch. You see, if you said to a branch, how would you like to fly? I think a branch would say, what's flight? How about speed through the air? What's speed through the air? How about hitting a target? What's a target? You see, you can't even identify. You can't, you've got no, your imagination can't take you there because well, I'm in this tree and I've got Jesus with me. You've missed the point. You haven't started the adventure. You haven't been cut loose. And dear friends, if, if it's not true for you and me as, as youth leaders, we're not going to produce much in the kids. We may teach them about Jonah or Abraham or something, kick a football with them. But to reproduce new creations, it's what's in here that gets communicated. It's what God's done with us that we reproduce. So God wants to cut us free and say, I want your life. He wants your life. And so when God teaches us and takes hold of our lives, then things start happening. We get freed from this passing age. Our career hopes, maybe? Our projection, what we think I might be, it's all up for grabs. We were singing that song last night, we're here for you, Lord. And that really bites in. Okay, it's all yours now, Lord. You have it, you do with it what you like. And it means he, he has to cut things away. Imagine cutting off the branch from the tree and the branch has often got kind of leaves and they've got to go. Some of them just got to go. There's stuff in my life, it's got to go. And some of it was pretty painful. 
it really was like dying. I thought, that's me, that's me, that's who I'm like. That's what I'm like. I like laughing at, nope, gone. Ouch. Ouch. Ouch, am I still who I thought I was? That, that's part of my personality. Ouch, ouch. No, no, it's not. Can't I, can't I keep some of that, please? How much do you want to be an arrow? How fast do you want to fly? What do you mean? Yeah. You mean I can't take leaves with me if I want to fly? Arrows don't go so well with leaves hanging on them. It's like, it's like you say, I want, to get, I want to identify with my new identity. It's not how much can I carry with me. And so all kinds of decisions have to get made. Where we spend our time. Things we watch. I, I, even very, I mean, I'm not young, guess or not. <laughs> As you might have guessed. I was watching, uh, there's a very funny program on television in America. And I haven't seen it for ages. And I said, oh, it's on that weird channel. I can record it. So I pressed a button and it started recording. And then I started watching it. It's really, it's really funny. And I'm watching it and I think, oh, wow. A lot of this humor is geared to sex, actually. And I thought, it's so funny. So this happened to me like three weeks ago. I thought, it's so funny. And I haven't seen it for ages. It's so funny. And I'm in the Word one morning, and I felt God was speaking to me. I thought, no, nah, it's ever so marginal. It comes and goes, and there's nothing explicit. But I thought, the humor, mm, I don't think it actually belongs. So I just went back and block, 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 delete, 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 cancel chain, gone. Because I, I really don't want to get messed up. Even when I'm in my 70s, I don't want to get messed up. Do you have to make choices? You think, but that's so funny. I like their humor. Yeah, but it's not going to help me be an arrow. There's some things that don't help me be an arrow. I want to be an arrow. I want, Paul says this, I, not as though I've already attained. I'm still pressing forward to lay hold of that for which God laid hold of me. This is the privilege, brothers and sisters. God has ambition for you beyond your wildest dreams. If someone had said to me as a backslidden teenager, God wants to use you, I mean, I wouldn't, ah, come on. You've no idea what God's got planned. But Paul said, I want to lay hold of that for which God laid hold of me. Nothing could be more exciting. Nothing could be more wonderful to be fulfilling the thing God planned for you. We are his workmanship created in Christ for works he planned beforehand for us to walk in. Ephesians 2.10. He wants us to do that. So you want to say, I want to be an arrow. I'm still the same piece of wood. I'm the same person. But you become something quite different. You get changed. You get shaped. You identify with your new identity. 2 Timothy 2.4 says, No soldier on active service gets entangled in civilian pursuits. They may please the one who's enlisted him. We take on our new identity. We yield to God's disciplines. We make good choices. I sometimes ask, people come to you at end of meetings, will you pray for me? What would you like me to pray? Would you just bless me? I often say, Lord, please help him to make good choices. Please help her to make good choices. 
So much of what happens is you and me making good choices. Sometimes just moments. This I could go this way or that. I could go with him, but he's not a believer. Yeah, no, no, but you could. Ah. Choice. Choice. That's what brings you to where God wants to bring you. It changes your destiny. It's huge. So you folks, oh, God's got something for me. I want to make choices that will help me go that way. And if, if you're living that out, the kids that follow you are going to feel that. They'll touch it. They'll touch it, not just when you do your talks, but the way you are, the way you're with them, the time you have for them, the willingness to listen to their stories. Everything about you will communicate. God's got to do it in us. We see it reproduced in them. An arrow has to get shaped. But arrow gets stuff cut away. In this verse, it says, he's made me a polished arrow. So it's a process. Keeps on being polished. Keeps on being polished. It's a lifelong thing. A polished arrow. But an arrow, an arrow has to have an arrow head. Okay? If you, uh, you, you, you follow any kind of archaeology, you'll find that they sometimes find ancient arrowheads. And they don't, the, the, the arrow's gone, it's disintegrated. But the arrowhead is still there because the arrowhead's made of something else. It, it's, it's added. It's, it's a point added. It doesn't matter how sharp you make the wood. You say, well, I'm very sanctified. I'm very sanctified. You still need an arrowhead. You need, you need something added. Jesus said to the disciples, wait until you receive power from on high. You need to be clothed with power. You need to receive the Holy Spirit. It says of the early church, on the day of Pentecost, they're waiting. The Spirit came upon them. They went out and preached. And when they preached, this is this, interesting. They were pierced to the heart. You need a head that penetrates. And your niceness ain't going to do it. Paul said, our gospel came to you not in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us penetrating power, gives us effectiveness. And the apostles were told to wait for power. Characters in the Old Testament, like Gideon. Gideon's a scared rabbit, and God calls him, and then the Spirit comes upon him. He becomes a valiant warrior. The Holy Spirit gives us penetrating authority. We need to have the arrowhead. We need to receive power that will give us penetrating ministry. We cannot do this alone. We need the power of the Spirit. And then also an arrow rushing on, time's going. We need, we need feathers, all right? An arrow needs feathers. I, I, a friend of mine does uh, hunting in the States. They do. And uh, he, goes, he hunts bears. I have to say this carefully. He hunts bears with a bow and arrow. I sometimes say he hunts bear. You know, he's, he's hunting wild bears with a bow and arrow. And they go and leave him in Canada. And he climbs a tree in the snow. I've seen pictures of it. And he waits with a bow and arrow. He's hunting. I mean, crazy guy. And, and so, he, so he, he's got a bow, one of these very modern bows. I mean, I can't even pull it open. He pulls it right back, and you've got to have some pretty big muscles to pull this thing back. It's pretty powerful. And I'm, so I called him. I said, tell me about arrows. I said, what about the feathers? He said, they give it balance. They give it stability. They give it uh, focus. You've got to have, without, without feathers, they could go anywhere. 
I feel it's like God would say to us, we need, we need the Word of God. We need correct balance. So I need to be cut loose from stuff that messed me up. I need to make choices that identify with my new identity. I need power added. I won't penetrate without power. I need to be balanced by truth. And it's not enough to say, well, I've got so much of the Spirit, I don't need the Word anymore. No, that's not true. We need, we, need, we need authority. We need supernatural power. We also need to be absolutely drenched in biblical truth to keep us on course. Uh, for my, most of my life, I've seen people either emphasize Spirit or emphasize words. Sometimes almost like they're fighting one another. And I feel, oh, God, give us a biblical arrow. Give us the Holy Spirit and give us terrific teaching. And we need to do that with all the young people we're raising up. We need to encourage them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I, all of my five kids were baptized in the Holy Spirit before they were ten. You don't need to hold back on that. They were all filled with the Spirit before they were ten. I remember we were at Bible Week, what was called Plumpton, and we called it the Downs Bible Week. And Joel, who's on the platform here now, as a little boy, came into Wendy. She was in the caravan. They said, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And she's cooking. And she said, well, I'm just busy cooking. She said, no, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, as kids do. And, uh, oh, just a minute. No, 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 no. So, so she said, oh, okay, okay, okay. So she turned the stuff off and, went and prayed, laid hands on him to receive the Holy Spirit. Little boy. And, and then she said, and then she said, no, you go in the tent next door. You pray. I'll get on with it. You know, I'll come and see you in a minute. And, and he's praying. And he went back into the tent next door. And then she said, oh, Joel. I thought, Joel. So she went. And, and there's Joel. And she said he was on his knees, hands raised, tears pouring down his face, speaking in tongues. <laughs> and she said, so? He said, he said, I saw a vision. He said, I saw the apostles. He said, I saw fire. And she said, well, I fall. And I said, no, it came on each one of them. And, and he said, they all started speaking in tongues. So he said, so I joined in. <laughs> Little children. Little children. My son Simon, we had a visiting preacher, a vineyard guy, come home to lunch for, with us after Sunday. He came in the front door. My Simon said, would you come with me? And this visiting preacher said, to, I said yeah. so he took him up to his room and said, would you pray for me? He got filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's get, our kids are ready. They're ready to be prayed for. They need the power. Gosh, how they need power in today's world. Very often the only Christian in their classroom. They need power. Let's have courage to pray for them. Teach them about it. And then, but week by week, let's lay truth into their lives. Even in our kinds of churches, we must make sure that truth rules, that we love the truth, that we love the Bible, we love, its doctrines are fantastic and wonderful. We need to know them. J.I. Packer, very famous Christian writer, says this, people have got into the way of following private religious hunches rather than learning about God from his word. We've got to let the word shape us. It's not just knowing it, it's letting it shape us. That means, you know, there'll be, our culture will be saying, hey, catch up, church. Culture's changing. Attitudes are changing. Come on, church, catch up, catch up. No, 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 no. 
we have to let the Word of God shape us. Tim Keller spoke at the Westminster breakfast recently in Parliament. Wonderful American guy, preached, built a terrific church in New York, and he had 20 minutes to speak there. And he spoke about the church being salt and light. And he said, don't try and make the church reflect the culture because salt has to be different. Salt has to attack. It, it seems to, it tries to hold flavor. It tries to hold it consistent so it doesn't uh, spoil. That's what salt was used for. Let salt be what it is meant to be. Don't think, oh, we've got to let the cultures change. We've got to be relevant. You get relevant, you get irrelevant. If the salt's lost its savor, it's good for nothing. Tread it underfoot. And we don't want to be cranky, we just want to be biblical. We don't just be anti-people, we want to be full of truth. Full of truth. Let the truth shape us, help us shape people. We still need the power. It's no good saying, well, I've got so much truth, I don't need power. We need to see that power is different. Sometimes a guy is so full of power, you think, boy, he must know the truth, otherwise he wouldn't have so much power. No, it's a different thing. God gives his gifts very freely. He even gives some of his greatest gifts, the Bible says, to some of his weakest people. So let's not be fooled. Someone says, wow, look how powerful he is. He must know all sorts of clever doctrines. No, sometimes he's rather unclear about doctrine. It's a different package. It's not, gifts of power are not a reward for doing well. Grace is not a reward. It's a gift. It's free. So some people are phenomenally gifted. You think, wow, you've got some funny doctrines. Must be Satan. No, it doesn't say. Samson was incredibly powerful. Weird guy. <laughs> At no time does it say, and then he was empowered by an evil spirit. It never, never says it. Never says it. It's the Holy Spirit's power. It does not mean that he was a brilliant guy. So we need to be careful. We need, we need power. Yes, we do. And we need truth. That's why we must have both. We've got to have both. Because you can follow some people who are very powerful. They'll take you off. Woo, look at that arrow. Whoa, whoa, it's got no feathers. Look at that guy. He's so brilliant. He's got such enlarged feathers. Man. But he's got no power. We need both. An arrow needs both. We need to give ourselves to both. And then just notice this, the verse I read to you, which captured my attention originally. It says, you've made me a polished arrow. You've hidden me in your quiver. That's quite a costly thing to learn sometimes. You feel, Lord, I've tried hard. I've tried to take on board your disciplines. I'm working at the Word. I've received the Holy Spirit. Let's go. I'm ready. I'm a polished arrow. I'm the, I'm the thing you're looking for. I'm a polished arrow. What's the next thing? He's hidden me in his quiver. Come on, Lord, stick me in the bow. I'm ready. It's a funny thing happens sometimes. You get stuck in a quiver. So what's a quiver? Well, it's a bit like a dark hole. Is that light I can see at the end of the tube? You go through times like that. If you're, Lord, I'm ready. Why am I stuck in this? I'd love, you to, I'd love to serve you. I'm, 
why am I doing this? I'm only doing this. Surely you prepare me for more than this. You can go through times like that where, where sometimes, you know, guys, they, they lose their joy because, well, I'm sort of stuck. I've had the privilege of serving lots of pastors for years now. And sometimes I thought, oh, I'm stuck. Maybe you feel that. Oh, I'm doing the youth work. I thought I'd be ready for more than this by now. Well, you can get that attitude. And a polished arrow. I'm fully equipped. And I'm hidden in a quiver. Has he forgotten me? Now, what is a quiver? Well, a quiver is something you carry arrows in. I guess for the arrow, it just seems like a dark hole. For the archer, it's something he treasures. Imagine him kind of riding or running or having to cross a stream or whatever. What does he make sure he's looking after more than anything else? His quiver. Don't lose the quiver, you're in trouble. The quiver is strapped to his body. The quiver's accessible. But I'm hidden. No, you're not. My way's hidden from the Lord. No, your life is hid with Christ in God. He knows his moments. He knows his timing. I think of Joseph hidden in prison. What's going to happen? Just one more dream and you'll be running Egypt. But he was successful in prison. He was happy to be successful in the limitation of his present service. If we're faithful in the small, he'll give us the great. If we're faithful in what is another's, he'll give us our, our own. David was so faithful looking after his father's sheep. It's like God said, wow, if you look after sheep like that, you better look after my nation. Peter was told, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. God's got his hand on us, dear friends. He wants us to lead young people into truth, to rescue them from this passing age with all its stupid values, this terrible self-destruct, this terrible preoccupation with sex and foolishness. It's going to kill them off. It's going to spoil them, give them a bad conscience. It's just sad that what's happening. Things are so bad. And we've got this massive privilege. You've got a huge privilege of helping to shape young lives, to set them free from this passing age. It's a passing thing. Give them a new identity. Help them find, what is my identity? I used to be a branch in a tree. God cut me. He's, he's given me a new child. New, don't, just, don't let them just ask Jesus into their tree. Get them out. Call them on a mission. Call them into a destiny. Call them into their new identity. Let them wake up to who they really are. It's all part of your calling as youth leaders. It has to be true in your life and mine. You have to be consistent. You can't pass on what you haven't got. You can teach stuff, but you can't impart what you haven't got. So these things need to be in us. I think you have Q&A time. I'd like to just pray and then we'll do that, okay? Let me just pray. Holy Spirit, we, we've invited you to come. I just invite you right now. 
do what only you can do. Just, I pray, win our hearts. I pray for some, maybe this morning, maybe during this week, to make tremendous choices, to prioritize in a way they never did before. But the grace of God has come teaching us to say no. Help them to learn when they're supposed to say no. Teach the mighty grace of God. We thank you that we're, we're not under law, but the grace of God comes teaching us to say no. Oh, win our hearts, Lord. Win our hearts. Help us to be willing for you to cut off the leaves we don't need, to shed the identity that we don't need anymore, to let you do with us what you will, that we might be the polished arrows Lord, who knows what city you've got for us? Who knows what you've got for the guys that we're caring for? Come and have your way, we pray. Bless us, Lord. Bless each one here. May we be the best we can be for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, would you like to look after this? Thank you so much, Terry. I just feel like you've fed us with truth and, uh, yeah, just challenged us, challenged us in that. It's been so, so good. So like, oh, I could just sit here all day and just listen and just feed off of it. So like, why don't we just thank Terry? <laughs> so, good. so good. Just got a couple of questions. So we'll just take a few questions and then, and then we'll kind of go off to, uh, to our young people. So really simple one. First one is, uh, what is the name and the um, author of the book that you talked about with the British history? So someone wanted to know. So <laughs> I can't remember. Uh, it's, uh, it's a fat book, and it's called The History of the English People or something like that. I'm terribly sorry. Uh, and I can't remember the name of the guy. There's a picture of him on the back. He's a nice, nice guy. <laughs> It won the, uh, the history book of the year last year, right? so it should not be too difficult to find. Got an orange cover. You should be able to track it down. You should be able to track it down. Okay, great. Um, Terry, what do you know now which you wish you knew when you first started New Frontiers? Big question. I think really we, we, we didn't so much start New Frontiers um, I was asked to speak at a conference, how do you start a movement? Well, I don't think we knew we were starting a movement. We just kept moving. Uh, quite literally, uh, you know, I was based in one town and I started a church in another town. Actually, it's the church I've now gone back to and I'm now at in the middle of Sussex. It's now King's Church, mid-Sussex, and it meets in a big warehouse, about 450 of us. It started in a home in a village there. And then a couple from that place moved to near Horsham, and they said, would you visit? So I started visiting alternate weeks, and the group just grew and grew and grew in both houses. In fact, one home was a guy called Nigel Ring, and the people were in the room, and it filled the room, and I, and I stood in the door frame, and I preached, and they were sitting in the hall, and up the stairs, and in the kitchen, and I'm speaking, and uh, then they had a whip round and extended his lounge, and, uh, and then they moved into a hall uh, in town, and they were there for 20 years, now they bought a warehouse. Now that sort of story has been told again and again. So went from there to Horsham, went from there to Hastings, Crawley, East Queen. So we're just planting churches. In Hastings it was 14 people, 
and just kept on going. It grew and grew and grew. Now, now they meet in boundaries, a great big indoor cricket, I mean, huge church. They, they moved to Eastbourne, 24 people. I said to Don Smith, how many of your people work in Eastbourne? Maybe 24. Why don't you move there and start a church? Hey, why don't we? I was there second week, 24 people. They're just under 1,000 now meeting in a huge warehouse in Eastbourne. And uh, that's happened again and again. So we kept on planting churches. And it was only after a while that you realized, you look over your shoulder, oh, we've got a movement. You didn't, we didn't set up out to start a movement. And in fact, John Groves, one of the pastors who was at Hastings at the time, had a vision, and he saw a herd of elephants charging. Not very complimentary, elephants, but anyway. And it says they were charging, and there's this jungle terrain. And they kept running and just took it out. And, and he prophesied, and the opening phrase was, there are no well-worn paths before you, but together you can make a road where there is no road. You can accomplish more together than you can apart. So about 20 guys whom I was helping to start churches, we came together and said, okay, so what should we call ourselves? And we came up with New Frontiers, reflecting this vision of breaking through. And we were about 20 churches when that happened. And we just kept on starting churches. So one wasn't aware of starting a movement. Um, We just started new churches, kept going, kept going. And it'd take me a bit longer to tell you the history of the last 50 years. Uh, but that's how it started. And it went overseas. Now we're in 70 nations. Probably more, actually. Um, nearly 2,000 churches now. Uh, but, you know, it just kept going. We just kept moving. And then you suddenly got a movement. <laughs> Thanks, Terry. Okay, a couple more. So how have you cultivated a life built on the Word of God? So how have you personally done that? I think it's, uh, I, I believe in grace very much, so I don't, if grace has shaped my life, so I don't think you do Bible reading to earn points. You don't say, hey Lord, a whole chapter today, pretty good, eh? Get points for that. You know, I, don't, I prayed for half an hour, Lord, hey, half an hour. You don't do stuff to gain merit. God's declared us righteous as a gift. You start declared righteous before you do anything. Hallelujah. That's a done deal. He's, we're justified. We sing these great songs. We believe it. But I do believe in discipline. I think there's a great difference between legalism, which you do to impress, to gain merit. I'm doing this stuff. Look, am I getting hot points for this? And discipline, which I take on board, like, because you want to. It's like this guy's just won the Tour de France. You know, you don't get there without working. You know, some, some guys win the gold... 100 yards in the Olympics. And I guess they took all kinds of disciplines. We're going to a party. You're coming. No, no, no. no. Why aren't you coming? Well, I think maybe I could run faster than anybody in the world. Really? Yeah, I think I could. Okay. So, you know, you don't, you don't do it because you're not allowed to. You Because I've got a better motive. I've got something to go for. So for myself, I'm pretty disciplined about bringing the Bible, and I've changed the way I do it over the years. So I went to a Bible meditation course earlier on as a Christian, and, and it just taught me a certain approach of reading verses and getting a concordance, find where that phrase is somewhere else, and get a notebook and just follow things like streams. I've just gone back to it about three weeks ago. I haven't done it for years now, but that was the first approach I did. 
And then I did the, what they call the, the Murray McShane thing, which you may or may not have heard of. I've also got that in my Bible. And that's a breakdown of how to read the Bible. You can either read it right through in one year or in two years. And I did it in, I did the one year thing. And I thought, I didn't like it at first. I thought, well, oh, it's just on the surface. I'm just having to read as fast as I can. With four readings a day, I thought, well, wow, this is hard work. And I don't think I'm getting much out of it. But at the end of the year, I thought, do you know, I think I'll give it another go. And I did it for five years and I began to really enjoy it. But then I thought, I'd like to go back to the old way. And I've done, I've done sometimes, I get a good commentary. So I've worked through nearly all the New Testament epistles with a good commentary. Just, you know, noting what, ah, that's interesting, what that guy's seen. He's seen more than I saw. So I keep changing my approach to keep it fresh. Uh, so I'm doing a combination at the moment, reading my Bible over two years, the whole Bible, and I'm doing this other little follow a word around, see where it takes me. And uh, I'm just going through Colossians at the moment. So words like strengthened, uh, established, all sorts of little words. You think, wow, and I just look up in a concourse, oh, it's there and there and there. That's fascinating. I find that it's interesting to go back to that for a while. But change your approach. If you find helpful commentaries or notes, but dig into it. Let it shape you. Let it shape you. Let it make, help you make choices. I think my choice to think, hmm, don't think that program's really helping me, came out of my morning Bible reading. I was thinking about what God said to me in my reading that morning. And I thought, yeah, I want to be that for you, Lord. And I thought, hmm, not sure that program's helping me. Although it's ever so funny, and I do like it. No, I don't think it's helping me. So my morning Bible reading helped me make the choice. Thank you so much, Terry. We, we love you and we honor you and we thank you. Let's give Terry a round of applause.